So Matthew 24, 25, we're going to look there. We've already read from Luke 21, and we want to look at um, how Matthew records the writings of um, the statements of Jesus. Matthew verse 24, uh, chapter 24. We're going to start at verse 1. Okay? Everybody there? It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? As surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now there's going to seem to be a lot of redundancy, which is a good thing, between Matthew and Luke. Now as they sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen, not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there... Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch was, has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no, no, no one knows 
not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, chapter 25, we're going to be looking at it as well. We won't read it right now, but there are parables, four parables, that Jesus is going to get into to describe um, the timing part of the, the end times as well, and we will look at those later on. But here in chapter 24, Jesus gives us three indicators of what's going to be prevalent, what's going to be um, the environment of his return. Okay, And we want to look at those um, first. So we want to look at the environment of his return. First of all, we see that it's going to be marked by international conflicts. It's going to be marked by international conflicts. We're told by Jesus, back in um, verse 6, he says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. So we're told that in the end times, as we get closer and closer to the end times, there are going to be many, many wars. The word for nations against nations is actually the word ethnos versus ethnos, if you would. Ethnos is where we get our, our concepts of what? Ethnicity. Eth, uh, ethnics. Okay? And so, not necessarily is it going to be just a nation against a nation, but it's going to be ethnical groups versus ethnical groups. Does that make sense? And so, um, over in Iraq... Um, prior to us going in, and even a little bit now in some of those other areas over there, were there wars even in Iraq? Sure there was. Remember when Saddam Hussein was seeking to, 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 to wipe out uh, part of his, his nation as a whole. And so there would be <coughs> ethnical groups going against ethnical groups. And if you think about it, even in the United States we have some of those struggles going on. I just received a, an email this week from somebody who was... It was against um, Latinos, the, against the, the Mexicans coming across the border. And, um, you know, we, we, struggle, we, we face that struggle with the, the growing Latino population and the growing Me Mexican population. And there is a, a backlash happening here in the United States. Well, that's not a nation against a nation. It's an ethnical group versus an ethnical group. Back in World War II, when Japan attacked the United States, okay, and here we have one of the, the ships blowing up at Pearl Harbor, when that happened, what started to happen in the United States? Anybody know? We put Japanese people 
into camps. That's exactly right, okay? There was ethnicity against ethnicity. It was within the United States. We had Japan come against the United States, but the United States was against themselves at that point, okay? And so we've got to be careful of how we understand Scripture, okay? And then it says kingdom against kingdom. Well, that's reign against reign. That is country against country. That's king against king, president against president, um, prime minister against prime minister, however you want to look at that. Those are nations going up against each other. So as we get closer and closer to the end times, even though there's going to be this facade of peace, under the facade of peace, there will continually be this desire for one people group to place themselves above another people group. Andrew was just talking to me this morning about, um, was there any wars when I was in the army? And so we talked about all the different um, places the United States has gone in just since I've been in the military. You know, we've had two times in the the Gulf. We've gone to um, Granada. We've gone to um, um, Panama. I'm sorry. Good. Bosnia. Bosnia. Okay, Herzegovina. Um, We've gone to, um, not Nicaragua, Panama. Panama. Um, And so you look at a lot of these things, and he says, you know, why why does all this happen? I said, well, the Bible talks about it in the book of James. Where do wars and rumors of wars come from? It comes from what? The lust that's within us, we desire to have things that we don't have. And so you have the Saddam Husseins that go into Kuwait because they want the things that Kuwait has. Okay? And so that's where they come from. Well, it's going to continue to happen over and over again. Um, Clearly the Twin Tires lets us know that we who thought that we were impregnable, we who thought that we we sat as a... uh, um, Never the widow, um, that we can be attacked on our own land. We are, um, many people, concerned today about terrorism and and where things are going to happen. Well, the reality is that it can pop up at any place at any time. And that little picture there in the middle, anybody know what that is up in the middle there? United Nations, what particularly? Security Council. Security Council, Council, United Nations, okay? And so amazing things that are going on throughout our world right now. That body, the Security Council... Um, I think will have a, a greater impact upon the end times. I think that um, they have a bigger, profounder effect than people begin to realize. Um, but we will see. Jesus says that when you see these wars and these rumors of wars happening, understand it's just the beginning. The end is not yet. You know, sometimes we think, oh, this has got to be the end, you know, because it's in my lifetime. You know, remember I, I mentioned a few weeks ago how we tend to interpret based upon the political uh, landscape of our lifetime. But when, when the wars come, there's going to be people saying, oh, it's got to be right now, it's got to be happening right now. Well, Jesus said, be careful, um, that's just the beginning. Okay? Secondly, it's going to be marked by natural disasters. Okay? We're told then, at the, in the heels of that, he says that there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. And the word there for the beginning of sorrows is talking about a woman and her birth pains. We'll talk about that a little bit next week with Paul as well. But the reality is that, um, Tracy, you're here today. We can pick on you. She's, she's, just, she's within three weeks. It could be today. It could be joining the service. Wouldn't this be exciting? What a, what a, what a momentous occasion. Anyways, Lawrence is here. See, he's, that's right. We can see labor pains. Um, in, in person. But anyways, um, 
But we know that it's not because she's not having those pains yet. So, but the reality is that she'll know, she'll have an indicator, <clears throat> right, ladies, that the pregnancy is happening and that the, the birth is about to happen when there's the beginning of pains, the beginning of sorrows, if you would. And so we're told that as the end times gets closer, there will be these natural disasters that will begin to happen, occur more frequently. Now, the, there's a balance in my mind between... Uh, because we're told in the book of Daniel on trying to apply, remember, the progressive revelation kind of stuff, the, the understanding and bringing it along, that Daniel says that in the end time, the people are going to run to and fro, and that information is going to abound. And the question is, and I think they are increasing, but there's going to be a combination effect, if you would, between the fact that natural disasters will be on the, on the rise, but also, at this point, think about it, you know about more of them now than you ever did. Why? Because the information age. It's, it's happening like that. We know within moments of an earthquake happening halfway around the world. Whereas a hundred years ago, you may have found out about it a half a year to a year after it ever happened. I mean, you know that months ago, 50,000 people died in this, in this tsunami. We would have never known about it. But now... We have maps all over the internet. That, yesterday I was getting ahead on my studies a little bit and I was trying to, I was in Iraq and Iran and in Afghanistan and um, looking at the, the satellite maps and, and, and looking at the mountains and trying to see if I can find a road that China is supposedly building and stuff like that. But think about it. From my house, you know, I'm looking at the contour and I'm coming down through these cameras looking at what used to be... A, only the military had, and that was just within the last 50 years. And so think about it, even 100 years ago, they wouldn't even have that information. But here I am, sitting in my own house, um, looking at all these things. Well, the same way then, I could go on weather.com, and I can find out what's happening with natural disasters anywhere in the world in a moment's notice. Okay? But we're told, so we need to be prepared for that as well, that there is going to be then famines, there's going to be pestilences, there's going to be earthquakes, and note what Jesus says, these are just the beginning of the sorrows. Again, as American Christians, I think that we have had this um, pampered life as believers, and we think that any time something negative begins to happen to us, that Jesus must be coming today, because, wow, this is awful. But if we lived in any other country of the world, we would understand what it was really like out there. I mean, there are countries where people would love to have just a bowl of rice each day. Jesus said, I promise to meet your needs, not your greeds all the time. And so, out there, there are people who are facing natural disasters. They have pestilences. They have famines. And they're living in the midst of it. And guess what? Jesus hasn't come in those countries yet. Do you get it? I mean, there hasn't been the rapture. And so, um, I think the Bible shows that one day... It's going to happen worldwide. We're going to face the consequences of those things as well. And I think that we need to, to be prepared for these events. Okay? I'm not saying that we need to be alarmist. I'm not saying that you need to go stockpiling 10 years of stuff. But I think there's wisdom that needs to be involved as well. That when the time comes, and when a financial earthquake happens, that if you're not uh, close to being out of debt, if you're strapped, then you're going to be hit by that. If you're not prepared to be able to... Um, to to handle, to be able to provide food for your family in a, in a 
in a small little way, you may be hit by that. Remember, that's what the Bible says about us not being in the darkness, but being in the light. That we shouldn't be overtaken and surprised by the thing that's going to occur. We should be able to read the scriptures, understand what's going to occur, and we should be then prepared in those events. Okay? Because regardless whether it's the, the timing of the end, or whether it's just the times that things happen in our culture, or in the world, the fact is that natural disasters do happen, and they will begin to happen more prevalently as closer and closer we get to the end times. The third um, environment, the third part that we see as well in here, is it's going to be marked by spiritual struggles. And you can see as it comes up, the different spiritual struggles that there's going to be. First of all, <coughs> negatively speaking, Jesus says that these spiritual struggles are going to be marked by deception. Okay? That there are going to be those who come, that they're going to seek to deceive, they're going to be coming up saying that um, they're coming in my name. You see in verse 11, we read that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Um, oh, verse 5, I'm sorry, I passed it up. It says, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. In Luke, Luke 21, we read, I am. Many will come and say, I am. And the fact is that there will be many false Christs, many false anointed ones that come. Now, I think right here, this, this references the people who are going to come and actually claim to be Messiah. <clears throat> there are going to be people who come and claim to be Messiah. And there have been those who have come who claim deity. It's an amazing thing. And there are people who actually have followed them. But we're also told, Jesus said, that there are going to be those who claim to be prophets. But they're going to be false prophets. And they're going to be seeking to lead people in the name of God. And so we've got Joseph Smith up there talking to the, his angels, Moroni. You know what Moroni is more on I. And anyway, so we'll you just kind of put that one together there. But, but he had Moroni and the other angel that he, he was talking to. And out of that comes the Book of Mormon. That is a book of deception. It is a false prophet. The book is not true. We have um, the church of who down in the bottom right? The church of Oprah. Okay? Is a, is a very modern day thing right now. She doesn't claim to be the leader of it. She doesn't claim to be that person. However, she has spawned and she has encouraged and she is fueling this modern movement, okay, of um, trying to bring Jesus together with all the other gods. And so we've got to be careful um, in those days. And so we've got as well, um, throughout the world, um, with the Muslims, with the Hindus, with the Buddhists, this desire to see a one world nation. Now I could have put up there a picture of the Pope as well, but I'm afraid that people would misunderstand when I put that up there, you know, because of saying that, you know, he is the Antichrist and from the book of Revelation, and I don't necessarily mean that. However, we do know that from, I think it was John Paul II, that he had a world day of prayer. And at his, his prayer time, this, this day that he was setting aside in prayer to God, he brought together the, the snake worshippers, he brought together the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Muslims, and all these different world religions brought them together, and they all had their, their prayer meeting together because we all worship the same God. I can't judge somebody, and I'm not going to judge a whole religion based upon one man. However, when somebody makes that determination, and when they come together and they do that, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Now, as a believer, I understand that. There is only one way to God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. 
It is not through Muhammad. It is not through Confucius. It is not through Buddha. It is not through any the myriads of gods of Hinduism. It is through Jesus Christ alone. And so the minute I, I give on that, what I have just done was given up the only way of salvation. And then I become a false prophet at that moment. And so I want you to be cautious as we look out there. If you look on the internet, you will find a lot of false prophets today. I think that you'll find them even in our, in our city. That people who are setting themselves up, giving new revelation. And we've got to be careful. We're also told then, that is on the, the, um, the negative side, that there are going to be these people that are coming. Also on the negative side, there's going to be persecution that goes on. We're told that they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated. This is verse 9. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now understand what he says there. Why will people hate us? Because of ourselves? Because of Christ. If you are not taking a stand for Jesus Christ, if you're not proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, then guess what? There will be no persecution. However, the reality is, if you know Jesus Christ, if you believe in him in your heart, then Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart, then confession is going to be made with your mouth. And if confession is made with your mouth about the Lord Jesus, then you're going to start offending people. And the closer we get to the end times, there's going to be greater and greater offense that's happened by that. And we see it in our own land today. Think about it. You can name Allah, you can name Muhammad, you can name whoever you want to, but the minute you name Jesus, Jesus Christ, it's an offense. Lord willing, next week, um, Woody will be here. Woody Prophet is my mentor. Um, he's the one that the Lord allowed um, to lead me to the Lord. And I, I hope they're able to be here. They're hoping to stop through. And he may be here next Sunday morning. And uh, you can ask him and you can verify this. But he was in the Air Force as a chaplain. And he's in the, in the Air Guard right now as a chaplain. But while he was active duty, um, he was up at Andrews Air Force Base. And the chief of chaplains assigned him, as a new chief of chaplains that didn't really know him well, assigned him to pray at the big Andrews Air Force Base air show. It's a very, um, what do you call it, um, profile, high profile um, position. Because if it's a national thing, it's televised, he would be on. He, in honor of the, the chief of chaplains, went and explained to the chief of chaplains that he prayed in the name of Jesus. That was something that was his conviction. It was something that his sending churches, his sending church required of him, and his endorsing agency required of him as well. That that was his belief structure. And that was actually why he was actually brought into the Air Force. The Air Force wanted a, a, another fundamental, um, strong-believing um, Christian. And so Woody, they actually called Woody three times when Woody agreed to go. And so um, that chief of chaplain actually called the endorsing agency, to find out if what he was telling them was true. And reamed him, just ran him up one side and down the other. And, and basically tried to run him out of, the, out of the military. Why? Because he was going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. To be a chaplain in the military today, <clears throat> and to be able to move forward, you have to be willing to compromise on that. Now, I've talked to somebody else who is a chaplain candidate who um, has a different take on it and he, he's able to work through all those things. 
But the struggle is still there. That you can name any name you want, but if you name the name of Jesus, it's anathema. Now, this is not to pick on a certain denomination, but this is just to show you the extent of it. That chief of chaplain was a Southern Baptist. He was not a Mormon. He was not a Catholic. He was not Episcopalian. He was not a Methodist. He was not a Presbyterian. He was not one of these other ones that we're gonna, we want to pick on. He was Baptistic. You'd think that he would be the conservative. Persecution is going to arise. But persecution will arise for the name of Jesus Christ. There will also be a growing distraction. Verse 12 says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Lawlessness abounding tells me that the spiritual war will be increasing. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, when Jesus was moving toward offering himself as our sacrifice, the spiritual war began to increase. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying to the Father and he was sweating as it were drops of blood? Jesus cried to the Father and said what? If, if, if it's possible, let this cup, that's right, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, after that, he's arrested. He's, he's, he's taken away. But as he's taken away, what happens? What happens as he's taken away? Peter, that was, that was when he was first confronted, Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, and Jesus heals it. But as they, as they bind him and they take him off, what happens? His disciples flee. They desert him. He is left alone. No one is there to support him. Now you say, well, yeah, but remember, Jesus, though being in the very morphe, the very nature of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself in the likeness, the scheme of a man, and, and was found in the fashion of a man. He humbled himself and took the manhood that we have, and we're told in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in every part such as we are, yet without sin. I think that Jesus felt the loneliness at that moment. He felt the desertion at that moment when everybody fled away from him. Even though he knew it was going to happen, I don't think that dissolved him of the feeling of the aloneness that he had. And then he goes to the Sanhedrin, and what happens at the Sanhedrin? He's mocked. He's beaten. He, they, they, they punch him. They send him over to Herod, and he's punched, and he's beaten there. And they mock him there. They sent back to the Sanhedrin and they sent him to Pilate. What happens with Pilate? Pilate tells him what? I know that you are innocent. I know that you're without sin. He goes to the people and says, I don't find any fault in this man. And yet he does what? He still condemns him to death. Hands him over and gives the judgment of condemnation. Gives the judgment of crucifixion. He is flogged. He's scourged. He's beaten. He's spit upon. He's mocked. They put a crown of thorns on his head. As Jesus goes to the cross, the battle, I believe, intensifies. Satan knew the importance of the moment. 
if that sacrifice would be offered in the pureness of the sacrifice, your sins would be forgiven. But if Jesus Christ at any point along that line would sin, if he would give in to his flesh just once, he would no longer be the perfect sacrifice. And so as he's hanging on the cross, think about it. All the different groups that come and mock him and still spit upon him. And Jesus looks down and says what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Now, if, if you would, I take that picture as a picture as it's going to be as we go toward the end time. That lawlessness is going to abound. That means that people are going to be moving further and further away from the law. The Christ, but the law. And understand that the, the foundation of our laws is God's law. Again, we've talked so many times, why do we say murder is wrong? Ultimately, it's because God said it was wrong. And we are watching right now the foundations, the moorings of our society, of our country, being undermined and being destroyed. We just had George talking this morning in Sunday school about the neighbors who are living together. That's commonplace. That's, we don't bat an eye at it. But 80 years ago, what would have happened? That would have been unheard of. That's sin. We would still have had some of those moorings, but those moorings are gone. And now, you may hear about your neighbor, him living with him, or her living with her. Think about it. And because the lawlessness of bound will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Why? Because we are flesh as well. And we are drawn away of our own lusts. We are enticed. Just as those in the world are. We're told that Jesus, think about it, again, was tempted in every way, such as we are. What does it mean to be tempted? The potential to sin. That means there's a desire that's there. Jesus didn't walk around and like, it didn't bother him at all. I mean, hey, sin's going on he was tempted. And so if my Lord was tempted in every way, I mean, I, there is no temptations overtaken me, but such is what? Common to man. And so as lawlessness abounds, as the world allows people to do more and more things that are sinful and ungodly and sensual, then you and I are going to be needing to be more and more in God's word, more and more with God's people, fellowship with God's people, so that we can be on the alert against the attacks. That we be putting on the whole armor of God. That we may be able to stand. And do you remember what Hebrews chapter 10 says then? I've already kind of quoted part of it as we come together. Hebrews chapter 10 says, And not forsaking the assembly as the manner of some is. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Because as the day of the Lord comes, lawlessness is going to abound more and more. And there's going to be a greater need for each of us to be together more and more to encourage and provoke one another to love and good works. Now, I don't know about you, but I know my own lusts, how hard it is when something's just thrown in front of my eyes. 
We talked about that last week in Sunday school, about Psalm 1, using the application from Psalm 1, about blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of any God, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. And use it in, in the concept of your mind. Whereas, this, you know, you're walking along, Psalm 1 says, and somebody comes along and, and they start talking to you, and you kind of allow it, and then all of a sudden you get more interested and you stand there and talk to them, and then finally you sit down with them and actually fellowship with them. Well, it's the same thing with our, in our minds, with the lusts that are in our minds. We have a thought that just kind of comes by like a pedestrian, if you would, and just kind of shares something. That thought comes along, whether it's a lustful thought, um, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, or pride of life. And, and instead of discarding it and telling it to go away, we don't want to do anything part of it, we begin to walk with it a little bit. We begin to indulge it a little bit. And then finally, after we've indulged it for a little bit, what do we do with that thought? We sit down with it. And we engage with it. We begin to participate with the thought. And we begin to indulge it more and more and begin to participate in the thought. In the thought, we're told in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinketh, so he becomes, so he is. That's exactly right. And so we've got to be on the alert. Please, be on the alert. Understand the spiritual struggles are coming. However, there is a positive side in verse 14. Note the positive side in all this. He says, in the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Now, this is amazing to me, because there are believers that are out there that are seeking to cause the end to come. They think if they preach the gospel throughout in, in all the world, then Jesus has to come. There's a, there's, there's a problem with that. Who's, who's the one that brings Jesus then? We do. Okay? Jesus said, no man what? Knows the day or the hour. We'll talk about that in a moment, right? And so, it's not about us. However, God did say, Christ did prophesy, that these things will occur. And as we have the internet, as we have the radio, as we have TV, and as we have all these different forms, these medias, by which to communicate the gospel, <clears throat> the reality is that the, the world will know Listen to this. And they will be without excuse. Because they should have known. They will have heard. And they will have rejected. But then we're told, then the end will come. Because they will each have the chance. Now, that's the environment of Christ's return. We want to talk next about the expectation of his return. Okay? That begins in verse 23. What do we see about, in, in verse 23, about the expectation of Jesus' return? First of all, it's going to be unmistakable. We read that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. See, I told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in a desert, don't go out. If he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. Why? For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Then we're told, verse 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. When Jesus comes, it will be unmistakable. There will not be any debates. The first thing you need to know about that unmistakable nature is that he's not going to come on the earth. All the other religions of the earth right now are looking for Messiah. They are looking for the anointed one to come. The president of Iran, I can't remember his name. What's his big bent right now? 
Those of you who watch the political landscape, what's he trying to do? What's he, what's he trying to do? Well, he's trying to get rid of Israel. No. What's he proclaimed? He's trying to bring about World War III. Because, according to Muslim prophecy, when that World War III begins to happen, Messiah will come back. And so he is seeking to, to provoke it so that the Muslim Messiah will come. But they're looking for an earthly Messiah. If you go into the Hindu and Buddhist religions, they are as well looking for the new leader to come. All world religions right now are looking for this anointed one to come on the earth. The only difference between them and us is that we look for ours to come in the cloud. Know what he says, that as the, e as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, in like the uh, vultures that are circling, it's going to be unmistakable. You're riding down a road. We live in Georgia, so this is very clear to us, right? And you see 20 large birds, black birds, large ones, circling a couple miles ahead. Immediately, that's right, George, what are they? They're buzzards. And what are they doing, George? They're looking to clean up the highway or something in the woods. Something that you don't even know is there, but you know something's dead or dying up ahead. Because you can see the birds that are there. And so just as Jesus is going to come in the same way, it's going to be unmistakable, people will see it. And then there's the partial quote coming from Zechariah that we looked at last week. And we're told that, every, that the nations will see him and they will mourn for him. They will look upon the one whom they have pierced. Secondly, we see the unrevealed nature of his prophecy in verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree with its branches have already become tender and put forth leaves. You know that summer is near. <clears throat> so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so only um, Jesus, only, only God knows the, the exact moment of his coming. And so he's not going to reveal it to us. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples ask him there as well, the timing of the setting of the kingdom. And Jesus tells them even there, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. You're to know the indicators that it's coming, but the exact moment is not for you to know. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What would happen if we knew? What if, what if, what if it was in, in, the, uh, in the scriptures that on the 10th day of October in the year 2021 A.D. I don't know why I would put it that way, but I'll say that. 2021, October 10th, that Jesus Christ is going to come at 3 o'clock in the morning. What do you think of, what effect would that have? A lot of murmuring, what's going on? What would you think, what would happen? People can't begin to imagine. People will quit planning. People will live for, for, them, for their own flesh. They'll think what? It's, it's not until then, I can do what I want to and I'll take care of it then and a lot of people will die in their sin because they'll think, I'll take care of it later. Think about it. There's too many people that try to do that now that say just in their own life, 
you know, as long as I get saved before I die, I'm okay, right? And they don't realize that there's sudden death. So the unrevealed nature of his return, and finally the unexpected nature of his return, we see then going on the, um, the, the illustration from the days of Noah. That as it was in the days of Noah, when they were eating and drinking and giving away in marriage and receiving in marriage and, and all these things, think about what was going on in, in Noah's day. How long did it take, approximately, for Noah to build the ark? 100 to 120 years. It's a huge boat. Very easy to see if you lived anywhere near him. He didn't live on a river. He didn't live on the lake. He's building this huge ark. It's one and a half football fields long. So you guys that understand football, the 100 yards, it was 150 yards long. 150 yards long. It's amazing. Three stories high. Huge, huge boat. 100, 120 years he's building this thing. And his neighbors are seeing it. Rejecting, we're told, the prophecy. Rejecting the, the proclamation of the, the coming judgment. The people would not listen. And on the day that Noah got in the ark, how many people got in with him? Seven others. There was a total of eight. He and his wife, his three sons and their wives, were the only ones who got on that boat. Now, this is a, should be a no-brainer here. Let's think about this. The fact that Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives got on the boat tells me that there should be some influence that they had beyond their own family. Why is that? Because Noah's sons probably didn't marry their sisters. Right? So that means that there's at least three other families out there whose kids got on the boat. Does that make sense? And so all these people rejected it. Why? Peter tells us in his, in his final epistle, because it will be the same way, they'll be saying, you've been talking all along about the hope of his coming. Where is, where is this return of Christ stuff? People have been talking about this. And last night, I was reading a, um, um, again, I was doing some research on, on some uh, stuff coming up ahead. And there was a guy in China um, who was rebutting some of the biblical stuff because somebody was stating about um, China coming over um, to attack, you know, in, in Russia and, and stuff like this. And this guy that was in China was rebutting. I didn't catch it. it was from China at first until a later one somebody was referring back to him and I, I looked back and I thought, wow, he's in Peking. Um, anyways, and so just ignoring what the scripture says and making fun of it. Make, this, over the last 2,000 years, people have been saying the same thing. Everybody likes to think that, you know, it's, it's, they, they do it in, in, in the exact same thing we've talked about, how we we interpret things based upon our political landscapes. And so the, the, the unbelievers see that, and they laugh. They laugh at us. And it causes them to have greater um, audacity, if you would, to mock the word of God. But the fact is, that as it was in the days of Noah, they're going to be partying, they're going to have orgies, they're going to be doing their own thing. Remember, because it says that the wickedness was so great upon the earth. Okay, so don't make it just into a... Um, a, a placid thing that God was just, they were wicked, they were evil, 
And that same evil is coming to our, our land and coming to our world. Okay? I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And on that day, they're going to ignore it. Noah gets in the boat. And how does the door of the boat close? God shut it. I like to think that it was that same hand that Belshazzar saw writing on the wall. That all of a sudden there was this hand that came and closed the... And then he pitched, he pitched the outside as well. He had to put the pitch on the outside of the door. And so this hand reaches down and with a big paintbrush and takes the pitch and... Could you imagine being the neighbors? Watching the, the paintbrush on its own, pitching the, uh, the door, closing the door and pitching the door? I think it would be a, a very eye-awakening moment, wouldn't it? And they all died. They all died. We should be those who are of the light. We'll talk about that some more next week. It should not t- come upon us unsurprised. Then the exhortation of his return. <coughs> Jesus continues on now with his illustrations of the stewards. And he says, first of all, we need to be ready. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief had come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Basically what he's saying is, if the steward knew what time the thief would come, he would have been ready for him. He'd be ready for him. Since you don't know the hour, you should be ready when? All the time. time. Secondly, we're told to be faithful. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Verse 45, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour he is not aware of, and will cut him into two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't lose focus. As a steward, as a servant of God, don't lose focus. God, Christ is coming again, and he's going to come at a time you don't know, be careful that you don't put off saying, ah, you know, he's, it's, it's still a while. I can go out and sow my wild oats. Isn't it amazing how we always say that with our teenagers and stuff like that? Everybody has to have a period of sowing their wild oats. No, they don't. And so you teenagers, if you think, that's well, it's just this is my time. It's not your time. You may say it's your time, but that's giving in and that's excusing yourself. Thirdly, we're told to be prepared. And this is the, as we get into chapter 25, this is the, um, the, the parable of the, of the bridegroom with the ten virgins. And five of the virgins took extra oil with them, and five didn't. And as they slept, the cry came out that the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh. And so they got up and they trimmed their lamps, and five of them found out what? Oops, no oil in my lamp. No oil in my lamp. And so they turned to the five others and said, will you share with us? And they said, no. That's always a struggle, wasn't it? Aren't we taught to, to, to share? Well, the fact is, you cannot share your salvation. You can, you can tell somebody else about it, but they have to appropriate it themselves. I can't take of the Holy Spirit from myself and give it to you. Do you get it? I mean, I wish I could do that. But kids, you're not going to go to heaven because your mom and dad had oil in their lamp. You've got to have your own oil in order to get to, to meet with the bridegroom. And so we've got to be prepared. And so 
Ask you the question, are you in it for the long haul? Is there oil in your lamp? Remember Jesus said, when he talked about the sower and the seed, that some of the seed fell upon rocky soil, and some fell upon thorny soil. The rocky soil didn't stay because there was no root, and so when the sun came out, it scorched. And the thorn, that was which was sown in the thorny soil, the thorns came up and choked it out. Neither one of them were fruitful. Jesus said in John 15, that he abides in me, and my word abides in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Only those who are fruitful, not necessarily with, you know, leading people to the Lord, only those who are fruitful are the ones who are his. Finally, exhortation, be fruitful. Huh? Isn't that timing? Be fruitful. And so we look at, begin at verse 14 to 25, and it talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went into a, on a journey. When he received the five talents, went and traded it with them, and made another five talents. Likewise, the one who received two, but he who had received one, went and dug it in the ground, and hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Likewise, the one who had two came and showed him the two. And he was told, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And then finally the one with the one came and said, Man, I know that you reap where you do not sow. And you do all these, these awful things. And, and so I went and I hid it. And, and Jesus, the Lord, says to him, Shouldn't you have at least stuck it in the bank? The idea is that we are supposed to take the talents, the gifts, that God has given to us, and we're supposed to invest them for his glory, for his kingdom's sake. And so while we are waiting for him to come, we ought to be out there seeking to invest the talents and the abilities that he's given us for his glory. And the question I have for myself and for you, are we doing it? And then finally, the event of his return is in the end of chapter 25. In the end of 25, look at verse 32. We're told, well, verse 31 for context, says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered together before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And so we're told right off the bat that the nations are going to be gathered together. In that time, all the nations will be gathered together. And when they are gathered together at that moment, they will be divided between the sheep and the goats. There will be the separation of the unrighteous and the unrighteous between the sheep and the goats. And they will be judged according to what they have done by their works. Now this is a, uh, always a struggle, a struggle sometimes with, with theology because we believe that we're saved by our works, right? Come on, everybody say it together. No, okay, no. I want everybody to hear that when they, when they listen to this tape on the internet, that the whole congregation went, no! I mean, you know, they just, no, no, it didn't happen. That we're saved according to faith. But we are told that faith without works is dead. And the reality is that Jesus said that we're supposed to, to judge, if you would, we're supposed to be fruit inspectors, we're supposed to be looking at those who profess to be believers, and if their lifestyle doesn't agree with it, then there's got to be something that's wrong with that picture. Well, the same thing goes for you and I. The same thing goes for the nations. And so, the day is going to come when Jesus is going to gather them together, and Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And what he's going to say is, 
to the to those who are righteous, to those who are the sheep, that they manifested, that they manifested a faith in Christ. They manifested a belief in his teachings by what they did. Because we read in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. What do all those things manifest? A servant heart and a love for other people. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. The reality is if you have the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, if you have the mind of Christ, then you will live out the life of Christ. And that mind of Christ is the love of Christ, which is loving other people. Seeing their needs and understanding that their needs is more important than your needs. And so, he says, you're going to be those who are reflective in this. That you're going to be looking at the needs of other people and you're going to be involved in it. Verse 37, And the righteous will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. So note the righteous, their works, their humility, and their reward. But note the cursed, then, as well, the same thing. Their works, they didn't do these things. And then they ask the same question. When? Their denial. When, when did we do that? Kind of questioning God. But then finally they got their reward as well. Verse 45. Then he will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word Ionios means continuing, ever, on, ever going, ongoing. There are those who are going to teach you that you either go to heaven or annihilation. It's not true. Hell is everlasting. All people have everlasting existence. I like to say eternal life. But people look at me, huh? But you have eternal existence. The question is, where will you spend it? Will you spend it in perdition, in condemnation, or will you spend it in the bliss of heaven? And so, there's been a lot of information as we come through this. I hope you've been able to assimilate it. But in the end, as I ask myself, I ask you, are you expecting Christ to come back at any moment? At any moment. You know, there are a lot of times when I start to, to struggle with the sin or whatever, and I ask myself, when, I, when I'm contemplating giving in, is that really how I want to be found if Christ comes? At this moment, do I want to be found indulging that sin? I'm not saying I'm going to lose my salvation, but I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, when I get there. I don't want to enter into his presence looking down because I know that I didn't love him with all my heart. Secondly, if an imposter came, could you tell the difference? How much do you study the real in order to know a fake? Again, we've talked about this in the past, but the reality is that our government has those who are involved with counterfeit uh, currency. They study the real currency all the time to its infinite details so that when they see 
a fake, they know it. There are a lot of people out there today who are calling themselves anointed ones. How do we know the fakes? Finally, are you ready? Are you faithful? Are you prepared? And are you being fruitful? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy and I thank you for your word. I know that it is quick, it is powerful, it's sharper than two sword. Lord, there is so much that we didn't even cover today as we just skimmed through these um, chapters. So much that could have been spoken. God, I pray that you would use your word in a mighty way. Lord, cause it to not be void, but to work that work which you desire to work in us. For I know and I believe, Lord, that you who began the good work in me will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And I pray the same for these others. Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ. Help us to have a hunger and a desire to glorify you in everything we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do in our life. Lord, I pray that as a body we would seek to do that as well, that as a body we would um, come together with the awareness that Christ could come at any moment and we would desire to, to magnify you, expanding your kingdom. Lord, I pray that as moms and dads that we would have that burden for our children. And that would be the overriding desire of the things that we do. Seeking to encourage them into a love relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord, for when we get distracted. Lord, protect us from the, the flesh, from the the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which seem to overwhelm us at times. Lord, I pray that we would um, not be wooed by the lawlessness which is abounding, but they would again seek to glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, let's turn in our hymnals to 180.